So I wonder if you'd uh, join me in a little exercise uh, and imagine what you think of when you think of a courageous person or what you think of courage or courageousness. Maybe it's a firefighter diving into danger to protect the common good, or maybe it's a great civil rights leader like Martin Luther King who stood up and, uh, for the truth against a tremendously unjust society. Since antiquity, courage has been considered a virtue, a moral habit refined through practice and a trait which one aspires to possess. Plato and Aristotle give us enduring definitions of, of virtue for Plato, uh, uh, courage rather, for Plato, courage is the, um, the will to act rightly in the face of one's fear. Aristotle saw courage as being grounded in wisdom and it was kind of the middle ground between recklessness and cowardice. And he believed that one was courageous who was able to base their actions on what they thought was right and wrong rather than just their feelings alone. So one of the things that I think I have mislearned uh, early in my life, which seems to be a common topic of my sermons, things that I got wrong earlier. Maybe I'm taking a page out of Shauna's book. I guess I haven't learned that yet. Mine would be, I guess I learned that wrong, and now that I'm in middle age, I need to learn it right again. Um, but one of the things that I mislearned early on was thinking that to be courageous was to live without fear. And maybe it's the unintended consequence of growing up in the heydays of evangelicalism's marriage with consumer culture in the 1990s, but I wonder if any of you remember going to a Christian bookstore in the 1990s? And by then, many of these Christian bookstores were more like Christmas de Christian department stores that sold everything from like clothing to religiously themed home furnishings, you know, live, laugh, love, <laughs> quote Jesus, uh, and also Christian snack foods inexplic inexplicably, like the Testament mints that you'd give to people as an evangelism tool. I mean, I don't think anybody ever came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through fresh breath, but maybe, maybe that was the path to be taken in the 90s. Well, I can remember coveting these t-shirts that were plastered with uh, the, the two words, fear not, on them. And these were like Christianized versions of a Southern California fashion brand called No Fear. So you see, it's real subtle. No fear versus fear not. And I, I guess I must have heard a dozen sermons growing up that said something about how fear was sin and how it was a lack of trust in God. And what we really needed was to fear not. That's what it meant to be courageous. But here's the truth, and I, I hope that you walk away remembering this as we go into this coming season and the year ahead. The absence of fear is not the presence of courage. Let me say that again. The absence of fear is not the presence of courage. Now, the Bible gives us plenty of examples of courageous people, and almost all of them experience some kind of fear or trepidation when they're faced with what God is asking them to do. We could think about Joshua, who led the children of Israel into the promised land. King Josiah, who stood up, stood up against the armies of Pharaoh in the battle of Megiddo. Prophets like Isaiah and Ezekiel, who delivered God's words, not words of consolation or success or victory, but words of punishment and judgment, dangerously speaking truth to the powers of their day. The thing is, in most of these stories, we know that these brave and bold leaders or kings or prophets also felt a lot of fear. They were, at various stages, reluctant to take the first step, doubtful that this was all going to work out, 
And sometimes they suffer terrible consequences for their actions. So courage is neither the absence of fear, nor is courage the guarantor of success. When I think of courageous people in the Bible, the person who stands out the most to me is probably the least likely person that you would think about as being courageous when you consider this litany of sort of strong, bold, seemingly fearless people. But I think the most courageous person in the Bible is the young Mary who is described to us in Luke's gospel and whose song we sing in that Magnificat canticle. Our gauzy Christmas romanticism can sometimes obscure what must have been a really terrifying reality for Mary with her encounter with the angel and the heavy burden that she was asked to carry as the mother of Jesus. So Mary is from Nazareth, which is an entirely insignificant mountain town in the north of Israel on the fringes of the region of the Galilee. Archaeology gives us a good sense of what first century life in Galilee and, or in Nazareth would have been like. There would have probably been only 20, maybe 50 families tops living in Nazareth at the time of Mary's encounter with the angel. Most of those who lived there uh, at the time of Mary would have lived in small homes carved into the side of a mountain. They were very much like the Hopi of North America or the ancient Iron Age inhabitants of Europe. Mary would have been a cave dweller. And this is helpful to note because we often think of the vocation of Mary's future husband, Joseph, as a carpenter. But the Greek word tekton can equally made be, that we translate as carpenter, can also mean just builder or even stonemason. And stonemason probably makes the most sense because that's the building material that they would have had. So picture this. Mary was an unmarried teenage girl engaged to a stonemason, pregnant at the age of 13, maybe 14, living in a small, rural, and likely very religious community. It does not take a huge leap of the imagination to sense how dangerous and scandalous and precarious Mary would have been. Mary had every reason in the world to be afraid. Yet, Mary displayed profound courage in a situation that was almost guaranteed to expose her to scandal and judgment and risk and shame. And she stood firm in her sense of self, of who God made her to be, and she lived into the truth of that identity no matter what. Now I'm going to tell a little story, and I've gotten permission from the person about whom the story is about, who happens to also be sitting here, which is always a little risky for preachers, but I just want you to know I'm not exploiting someone else's story, I'm merely using it. <laughs> Mary of Nazareth's story reminds me of another 14-year-old girl's courage, which coincided with my own first trip to Nazareth. In November 2018, I traveled to the Holy Land for the first time with my friend Matt. Now, my boss at the time, the president of General Seminary, had asked me to lead the seminary's pilgrimage to Israel, and I agreed that I would, but I said it would be helpful if I had been to Israel first and actually had, led, had been on a pilgrimage. So reluctantly, he agreed to throw a few shekels my way, and Matt and I decided to travel to Jerusalem together. 
And so uh, Matt and I were uh, in Israel. We were staying at St. George's College in Jerusalem. And uh, on this particular day, we were planning to go from Jerusalem up to Nazareth. And we were going to visit, among other places, the Church of the Annunciation. And so I'm in the... um, I'm in the dining room of St. George's College, and I'm piling shakshuka onto my plate because I absolutely love this stuff. And I get a text from Julia, and who's in New York at the time. And it was a photo of a half sheet of paper that had a block print of kind of a cartoonish looking bear. And, and around it, it said uh, that quote from Joshua's story, be strong and courageous. And initially, I'm looking at my phone, eating shakshuka, and I'm thinking, well, this is a really weird way to say good morning to me. But, you know, I, we've been married a long time, so, you know, random texts are kind of a thing. And, but then I get these follow-up texts. And the, first, the next one says, Naomi slid this under our door this morning, and Naomi's our oldest daughter. And Julia then sent me a picture of the other side of this half sheet of paper, which said, Dear Mama, I like girls. I always have. I hope that's okay. Love, Naomi. So on the other side of the globe, uh, Matt and I are heading in a car and going up to see the Church of the Annunciation, where Christians around the world remember Mary's encounter with the angel Gabriel. Standing before Mary's grotto in this gorgeous church, I realized that Mary was likely the same age as my Naomi. She was about 14. She was a child asked by God to exhibit more courage than perhaps any child should. And I wondered what it would have been like to have been Mary's father uh, receiving such news. Dear Dad, I'm pregnant. God's the father. I hope that's okay. (laughs) Love, Mary. I sent Naomi a photo of the grotto with a little message that said, Naomi, this is where Mary got her big news about being Jesus' mom. She was about your age. God was with her, and God is with you, and we love you just as you are, and we always will. This, um, this Advent season this year, this Christmas season, it's really felt a little bit off to me, personally. We've been really low-key at gift-giving around our house. Sorry, Julia, sorry, Naomi, for low-key gifts. That's my excuse. I'm now forgiven for being a crappy gift-giver. Um, We set up the nativity scene really late this year. Our advent candles are are like barely burned. It's been more of a melancholy Christmas than a merry Christmas, frankly. But courage isn't about forcing yourself to feel something untrue. It's not about denying fear. It's not about denying melancholy. It's not about denying your identity. Courage is about facing these fears and feelings head on, acknowledging them, and moving forward with them. Like I said, I used to think that courage was the absence of fear, but now I see it as the strength to move forward through fear, confident in who you are and in who God has made you to be. I think Mary is a fantastic example of this, frankly. Now, I'm going to get a little teachery here, but uh, many of us grew up believing in, as the Roman Catholic Church teaches, uh, that Mary was immaculately conceived. The immaculate conception refers to Mary's conception, not the conception of Jesus. And that she was conceived, so the teaching goes, that without any original sin. And so it's a unique grace um, that, made, that prepared her to be the mother of Jesus. And it highlights the singular intervention by God in human history. And this belief underscores Mary's exceptional status 
making her uniquely fit for this divine role. But there's another view, a view that's held by Eastern Orthodox Christians and many, many Anglicans, and we see this differently but equally powerfully. Rather than being an exception due to a unique divine intervention, Anglicans and Orthodox uh, regard Mary as representing um, a potential that's inherent in all of us. She embodies what it means to fully cooperate with God's grace. Mary's story isn't necessarily about her unique status. It's an example of the capacity within every human being to reflect and bear God's presence. This understanding of Mary's story offers us all an inspiration. It suggests that we too have the ability to become bearers of God in our own lives. Her courage and faithfulness are not unattainable ideals, but are within the reach of all of us. So this Advent, as we reflect on Mary's journey, let us also consider our own potential for grace and divine presence in our daily lives. So in closing, no matter what you're going through this Christmas, whether merry or melancholy, whether gathering with family is an opportunity to embrace who you are or a time to be tempted to retreat, I pray that you are blessed with the courage of our sister Mary, not just tomorrow, but through the rest of your life, courage that empowers you to walk with God as the person that God has made you to be. Amen. <laughs>